Well, good morning, Cornerstone Church. Anybody excited to be in the house of God this morning? Come on, are you excited to be in the house of God? That's what I'm talking about. Hey, I'm not just excited to be here. I am Red Bull excited and espresso elated to finally be at Cornerstone Church. First of all, I want to give a shout out and a hello to everybody at the Santan campus and Scottsdale campus, everybody watching online. Uh, I've been hearing about all the phenomenal things God is doing here at Cornerstone Church. Hey, but it's just good to see it for myself. I'm glad my chocolate face is in the place. It's amazing. I'm telling you, you are part of a phenomenal church. Just sitting backstage and listening to Pastor Lynn talk to Mama Zipporah and all that you're doing here and the generosity of this church. And uh, I just think the earmark of a great church is not your seating capacity, uh, but your serving capacity. And uh, that's why you're a part of a great church. Come on, how many of you know that this is a phenomenal, life-giving church? Awesome. And uh, man, that doesn't happen by accident. That happens because of great leadership. So I think we ought to just thank God for Pastor Lynn and his wife, Linda, and all the team here. They're absolutely phenomenal. Um, it's kind of funny how I got the call to be here. Pastor Lynn called me up. It was a quick conversation, very quick. He called me up. He said, Robert, do you believe in free speech? I said, Pastor Lynn, absolutely I do. He said, good. Come give four of them at Cornerstone this Sunday. So, so that's why I'm here sharing the word. So... I bring you greetings from Dallas, Texas. Uh, come on, somebody. Pray for the Cowboys. And uh, I bring greetings from Dallas. I serve at a church there called Trinity Church. Serve on the teaching team there. Uh, I've been married now for two years, three months, five hours, six minutes, and 23 seconds uh, to the finest woman on the planet. Her name is Taylor. Uh, she's not here with me because she is at home with our baby girl. I just became a dad two months ago. So I'm excited about that. It's awesome. And, uh, hey, you know how some rookie parents are as soon as you have a kid. You think your kid is the most beautiful kid in the world. You're always throwing up a picture of your kid because you think everybody wants to see your child. Look, I'm not that parent, okay? I would not usurp this opportunity while preaching the gospel to put a picture of my baby girl up there. You just, you don't have to worry about that. I would not do that to you. I'm lying. Real quick, let's look at my baby girl. I want you to see her. Come on, somebody. That's what I'm talking about. That's my girl. People, I made that. You know what I'm saying? And uh, her name is Everly Adair. We call her Evie. And uh, fatherhood is the best hood. I love being a dad. It's nothing like it. Are you guys ready for the word today? I'm telling you, man, I'm excited uh, to preach in this second installment of Unwrapped. And I really believe God's going to speak to us uh, today. How many of you have a Bible with you? Come on, if you got a Bible, wave it in the air like you just do care. Awesome. Some of your Bibles are glowing. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. You have a Bible. Let's look at Second Timothy today. Second Timothy chapter one. I want to look at verses one through seven, and then also Genesis chapter two, verse number seven. Again, that's Second Timothy chapter one, one through seven, and then Genesis two, verse seven. While you're looking for it, how many of you never heard me preach before? Can I see your hand if you never heard me preach? Oh Lord, that's everybody. Uh, <laughs> quick disclaimer, there are some preachers who are very calm and very quiet and very sedate as they stand behind the table to softly pontificate the processes of philosophy, eschatology, and soteriology. And they would consider it uncanny and boisterous for you to say anything while they're sharing with the Lord has deposited in the deep recesses of their heart, soul, mind, and spirit. I'm not one of those preachers, okay? I'm what you call a holler back preacher, all right? That just means I preach better and shorter. Hello, somebody. 
when you get responsive, if anything I say resonates with you, you can say, mm, that's good. You can grunt. You can say hallelujah. You can say amen. You can literally stand up in the middle and go, whoo, that was for me. You can stand up in the middle and go, whoo, that was for you. Any one of those <laughs> will work. Just don't be quiet on a brother today. <laughs> second Timothy, second Timothy. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers, night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Hashtag don't be scared. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. Can you say amen? And then Genesis uh, chapter number two, verse seven, just one verse here. I'm reading from Eugene Peterson's message translation. It says, God formed man out of dirt from the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life. The man came alive a living soul. In this second installment of the Unwrapped series, I just want to preach from the subject, it's in you. It's in you. Perhaps this holiday season, the greatest gift you will ever receive has actually already been given to you. It's in you. And I truly believe that your world will revolutionize around you when you get a revelation of what God has put on the inside of you because it's in you. That's what I want to share about today. Can we pray before we go into this word? It's going to be a long prayer, but just, just bear with me. God, you are awesome. Speak to us this morning. Amen. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Uh, quick, quick sermonic survey, quick sermonic survey. How many of you by a showing of hands, you've been raised in church? Can I see your hand if you've been raised in church, all the campuses? Wow, a lot of hands. Keep it up. Just trying to see who needs the counseling. Um, no. <laughs> um, if you've been raised in church, then you are acutely aware of the fact that the life of a church kid is distinctly different than the life of a regular kid. Oh, it's totally different. There are trials and tribulations and situations that you go through as a church kid that other kids aren't even apprised of. You say, how do you know that, Robert? I am a church kid. I was raised in church. Uh, in my household, going to church was not optional. It was not a democracy. It was a dictatorship, okay? Every day the doors are open, I had to be in church. In fact, I vividly remember uh, one Sunday uh, telling my father, who's actually here in the service, telling my father, actually telling my African father. See, my dad is from Nigeria, uh, 30 plus years ago, came to America like Eddie Murphy. Um, <laughs> met my mom who's American. So when your daddy is African and your mother's American, that makes you African-American. Y'all are smart class. I'm African-American. So I told my African daddy one Sunday as a kid, I said, I'm not going this Sunday. I don't feel like it. And do you know what my African daddy said to me? He said, let me tell you something. Okay, let me tell you something. You have two options. You can get out of that bed and go to church, or I can kill you. Yes, 
and we will go to church and have your funeral. But either way, you will be in church. Because as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the environment I grew up in. (laughs) Y'all clapping, that's the abuse that I had to endure. Um, dinners, dinners were different in my home. You could not eat your meal. You could not eat your meal without my mom asking this question. What's your favorite scripture? Before you could eat a meal, you had to give your favorite scripture. I remember being exasperated one time talking about, Mama, Jesus wept. Give me the chicken. Why do I have to give you a scripture before we eat this meal? This is stupid. But it's just the environment that I grew up in. And and this morning, I kind of want to reverse the question that my mom asked at the dinner table. And not ask you what your favorite scripture is, but ask you, have you ever considered what your least favorite scripture is? Your least favorite. I know mine. We read it today. It's in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7. The Bible declares, God created man from the very dirt of the earth. Just let that bless you for a minute there. I mean, if you are ever tempted to be saved and stuck up or to be anointed and arrogant and kind of think you just all that in a can of Pringles, it would behoove you to read Genesis chapter two, verse number seven, because the Bible is clear. You did not come from some celestial substance. You came from nothing but dirt. What an awesome thought to consider that every single person in this room, irrespective of your social status, how much money you got in the bank, how good you think you look. I know you think you Arizona's next top model, but you still came from nothing but dirt. In fact, let's just do a healthy exercise. Would you do me a favor? Just look at the person to your left. Look at them real good. Mm-hmm. Look at the person to your right. Uh-huh. Look at them real good. Look at the person behind you. Come on, turn around. Look at them behind you. Look at the person in front of you. Every campus, look at the person in front of you. Hear me. Every single person you looked at, according to the word of God, is a dirt bag. No, I'm just keeping it scriptural. The Bible is clear. You came from nothing but dirt. And it is funny to me, all the things that we do for our dirt. Like, come on, you got up this morning and you washed your dirt. You put deodorant. I hope you put deodorant on your dirt. Ladies, the money you spend on your dirt. Come on, you get your dirt manicured. You get your dirt pedicured. You put Mary Kay and Mac makeup on your dirt. There are people in this room who spend hours taking the best picture of their dirt to post on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Talking about it's a selfie. No, it's a dirty because you can't. Just sticking with the text of the Bible, you came from there. Okay, you need you need a you need a visual here at Cornerstone. Here's your visual. This is dirt. This is you. See how many you know we did not break the Cornerstone budget trying to get this dirt today. Okay, about a dollar ninety nine cents. This is you. If the substance of something speaks to the significance with it, of it, I have a problem with Genesis chapter two. We came from dirt. Not only that, how many you know dirt has never had a positive connotation in society. We say things like you better watch your mouth. You got a dirty mouth. Or we say things like don't look at that. That's a dirty magazine. Even when you want to describe the frugality of somebody's spending habits, you will say you are as cheap as. But that's where we came from. I had issues with this, especially when you juxtapose it with the greatness of our God. How many of you know our God does everything with beauty, with majesty, and with splendor? Is there anybody in here that knows we serve a great God? We serve a mighty God. Oh. If you've ever seen a sunset, you've seen the handiwork of God. If you've ever seen a waterfall as it cascades down a mountain in a plush green valley, you have seen the craftsmanship of the God that we serve. You do know he's the interior designer of heaven. 
He did the streets in gold. He did the gates in pearl. But when he got ready to create you and I, his prized possession, the one he sent his only son to die on a cross for, of all the things he could have used, he said, let's use Oh, I was so mad. I was so mad. I said, hold on, God. Streets get gold, but we get dirt. That's messed up. And then God began to speak to me, began to say, Robert, don't get mad. Get glad. And uh, he started revealing to me the revelation that is encapsulated within the creation process. Because since the beginning of time, God has been teaching us something about his character and about who he is. And hear me, you ought to praise God this morning because you serve a God who is holy. But he's not afraid to work with things that are dirty. You serve a God who is awesome, but yet he works with things that are awful. You serve a God who is magnificent, but yet he's not intimidated with things that are mundane and ordinary. And I just want to pause and thank God in a culture where everybody else is saying, get that dirt or that messed up situation away from me. God says, no, bring me that dirt. And that dirt you think is insignificant, that person you think can be used, oh, I'll put my hands on that dirt. I'll start shaping and forming that dirt. As a matter of fact, I'll breathe in that dirt and it will become alive and become a living soul. Come on, is there anybody that's thankful that God can work with dirt? He works with dirt. See, if you're stuck up, you can't praise God for that. But come on, if you know you got issues and some of your issues have issues, you ought to thank God that he can work with dirt. God is the only one that can take a great mess and turn it into greatness because he is not intimidated by dirty situations. Ooh, is this blessing anybody in here today? I uh, think it's also imperative to note that dirt is the only environment that is conducive for a seed. You can't put a seed in gold. You cannot put a seed in a diamond. I don't care how nutritious the vegetation or how giant the oak tree. If the gardener never places the seed in dirt, it will never reach its optimum potential. And I want to submit to you that although you came from dirt, there is a seed on the inside of you planted by a God who is a great gardener. And that seed is a gift. Before the foundation of the earth, God put a gift on the inside of you. And he is waiting for you to stir up what he put on the inside of you. This is why the Bible says things like we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that it is Christ that is in us that is the hope of glory. I I feel like preaching, but I'm going to calm down just a little bit and uh, be an exegetical engineer. Come on, somebody, I'm trying. Um, I I love this text we read today in 2 Timothy because it's written uh, by the Apostle Paul. and He's writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. You know Paul, the artist formerly known as Saul. And uh, I I I love... I love that Paul is writing to Timothy about the need to stir up the gift of God in you because Paul is qualified to tell somebody to stir up what God put in you. I mean, this is Paul. You understand that two-thirds of your New Testament was written by the hand of the Apostle Paul. Paul was off the chain. If Paul was alive today, he would be sending you a tweet or a text message or an email that would revolutionize your life. Every Everywhere Paul went, they tried to stop his ministry because he knew how to stir up what God put on the inside of him. That's why they tried to stop Paul. They said, Paul, we're going to kill you. He said, that's cool because to die is gain. They said, okay, then Paul, we're going to let you live. He said, that's cool too because to live is Christ. They said, okay, then Paul, we're going to make you suffer. He said, that's cool too because I've already reckoned that the present sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed on the inside of me. Paul was off the chain. He's telling Timothy, stir up what God put in you. But you can't really appreciate the text of 2 Timothy until you understand the historical context of this text. 
Because scholars and theologians are almost all unanimous in their declaration that 2 Timothy is the last thing the Apostle Paul wrote. He's literally writing 2 Timothy from a jail cell on death row about to be executed. It is the last thing that he wrote. So when you read 2 Timothy, you are privileged to eavesdrop into the psychology of a man who knows that he is about to die. Why is that important? It's important because there's something about a consciousness of death that will clarify what's really important in your life. Come on, if I told you today that you had 24 hours to live, how many of you know going to get some tacos and seeing Dancing with the Stars would not be that important to you? Come on, you would want everything you did to carry great weight and significance because you would be cognizant of the fact that you are running out of time. And I find it intriguing, of all the things Paul could have written about in the last moments of his life, he feels the need to tell Timothy, whatever you do, stir up what God put on the inside of you. Why would Paul do that? Because ultimately that is all that life is about. What did you do with what God put in you? Come on, when you get to heaven, God's not going to ask you were you a Democrat or Republican. He's not going to ask you, did you lift up your hands and do a nice Holy Ghost dance at your favorite song in the worship service? He's going to want to know, what did you do with the gift? What did you do with the dream that I put on the inside of you? Are you exhaling what I inhaled inside of you before the foundation of the earth? And I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you this morning. I'm scared of a lot of things. I'm, I'm scared of snakes. I'm scared of snakes. I don't do snakes. I don't care if it's on your shoes or your purse. I am scared of snakes. I'm also scared of heights. You will never catch this chocolate brother bungee jumping or skydiving. Oh no. I don't even think it's biblical people. Okay. God said, lo, I am with you always. So cheesy, but roll with me. Um, I'm also scared of dogs. I had a bad childhood experience, scared of dogs, but above heights and snakes and dogs, do you know what I'm really afraid of? I'm afraid that when I get to heaven, God will flash up on a screen all the things that I did for him. And then he'll flash up on another screen all the things that I could have done with the gifts and the talents he put in me. And what I did will dim in comparison to what I could have done. This is what wakes me up every morning to know there is a gift on the inside of me. There is a gift on the inside of you. And that gift cannot die. That is what the world needs to see this holiday season and the rest of your life. You got to unwrap that purpose, that destiny that God put on the inside of you. I love what one writer says. He says, the tragedy of life is not death, but rather what we let die inside of us while we still live. That is the greatest tragedy. And God just sent this crazy shouting, screaming chocolate brother from Dallas, Texas to tell you, stir up what God has put on the inside of you. Would you just look at your neighbor and wake them up and say, stir it up. Oh, come on. You can slap them if you want to. Just tell them, stir it up, stir it up. If you uh, hear me, if you go to my parents' house, uh, if you go to my parents' house in Dallas, Texas, and you go to the backyard, uh, you're going to see this huge peach tree there. And the way that peach tree got there is when I was a kid, I loved peaches. And I was eating this peach as a kid, and I get down to the sea. And being the precocious kid that I was, I went to my dad, and I said, Daddy, what is this? And uh, my dad says, Son, again, African, that is the seed. I said, Really? He said, Yes. He said, Son, do you know if you take that seed and you plant it in the ground, a peach tree will come up? I said, Nuh-uh, Daddy. He said, Son, it is true. So true story, my father and I, we go to the backyard, we plant the seed, and I am so excited about this peach tree. Like, I am having a ball about this peach tree. I go to school the next day saying, I'm going to have a peach tree. I'm going to have a peach tree. You can have some of my peaches. Y'all were talking about me. You can't have none of my peaches. I mean, I'm so excited about this peach tree. After we plant it, after we plant it, the next day, the next day, I go outside to get my peaches. To my shock, there is no peach tree. I said, okay, maybe it needed a day. Next day, no peach tree. Next day, no peach tree. Next day, no peach tree. By the sixth day, 
I don't even want to go outside anymore. I am inside the house. True story. My nose is pressed up against the window pane. Tears are streaming down my face. I wish I had a violin. This was sad. Tears are pouring down my face because I don't have a peach tree. My father walks in and says, what is wrong with you? Why are you crying? I said, don't talk to me, dad. You ain't nothing but a liar. Don't talk to me, you liar. Side note, if your father is African, never call him a liar, okay? <laughs> Discipline is high on their priority list. So, are you calling me a liar? Are you calling your father a liar? Boy, I brought you in this world and I will take you out. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not saying you're a liar. I'm just saying you said I was going to have a peach tree. There's no peach tree. My dad said, come here, boy. True story. Go to the backyard. He asked me a critical question. He says, have you done anything with this since we planted it? I said, no. He says, son, every day you come home from school, go and get the water hose and water what we planted. Stop crying like a little baby and go and get the water hose and water what we planted. I hope somebody sees where I'm going with this today. Because there are a lot of believers who have their nose pressed up against the window pane of their life. And tears are coming down and you think your heavenly father lied about what he was going to do in your life. But God's saying, no, I didn't lie. I'm just waiting on you to do something. I'm waiting on you to stir up what I put on the inside of you because when you stir it up that's when you begin to see the blessing in your life come on somebody just say stir it up come on say it like you had your coffee say stir it up come on say it like you believe it say stir it up some of you came all the way to this service to get those words stir it up there is something on the inside of you and God is waiting for you to stir it up you need to stir past fear and start walking in faith you need to stir past your past God wants to do something new in your life stir past what other people think about you come on somebody say stir it up and once you begin to stir it up you begin to see wait a minute well looky there There is a gift on the inside of me. You know what I love about that illustration? Is none of you knew that was in there. Except for me. You know why? Because I'm the one that put it in there. See, that's why I get excited when naysayers and haters come in my life to give commentary and say, I don't see you doing that. I don't see that happening in your life. Of course you don't see it happening. You didn't put anything in me, but there is a God that put something on the inside of me. And as soon as I stir it up, oh, come on, somebody, you're going to see things that eyes have not seen and ears have not heard. There is a gift on the inside of you. Hear me. Just as sure as I'm holding this gift. Every single person in this room, at every single campus, you have a gift. Every person. Every person. Every every person. You have a gift. Something God has given you, and I wonder, have you figured out what that gift is? As a matter of fact, to me, this is your birthday. This is your real birthday, the day you find out what he put in you. In fact, there's an African proverb that says there are two important days in your life. Not the day you're born and the day you die. But the day you're born and the day you find out why you were born. What is your gift? There is something on the inside of you. What's your gift? I want you to really think about it. That's your homework for Sunday morning. What is my gift? Some of you, your gift is like the worship team today. Oh, weren't they phenomenal? Their ability to sing and to lead us into the presence of God. That's their gift. Some of you, not so much. <laughs> you should lip sync for Jesus because that's that's not your gift, but you've got something. <laughs> Come on, we got business leaders in here and doctors in here and lawyers in here. You have something God has given you. What is your gift? In fact, your gift can don't negate the power of, the, of a gift no matter how small it is. Sometimes your gift can just be your smile. 
Just your smile. I wish people would just smile more in churches. I think churches would just grow and proliferate if people would just smile instead of looking constipated like you've been sucking on lemons. Just smile. Isn't that an awesome ministry? What do you do for Jesus? I smile. What's your gift? You got something. Some of your gift is you just look good. That's a gift. Just to look good. Come on, not everybody has it either. Come on now. The Bible is clear. Some of us were wonderfully, some of us were fearfully made. It was... I'm playing. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. What is your gift? See, let me tell you why many of you think you don't have a gift, because especially when you come to church and you can come into service and you can begin to think, well, I can't preach like Pastor Lynn and man, I can't lead like the worship team. So maybe I don't have anything to offer. Are you crazy? It is your gift in your sphere of influence in the marketplace, wherever God has called you. That is your gift that God wants to use to show who Jesus is to the world. What is your gift now? Here's some questions you can ask yourself to find out what your gift is. In case you're in here today going, what is my gift? Here's some gift identifying questions you can ask yourself. If you're taking notes, this is worth getting down. Question number one, what do you like to do? Often our gifts are hidden within our passions. What do you like to do? Here's another question. What would you do for free? Nobody paid you to do it. If it's truly your gift, nobody can pay you to do it because you were created to do it. That's why I know a lot of people who actually go to jobs, they make great money, but they hate their job because they settle for a paycheck instead of their purpose. What, what would you do for free? Here's another question you can ask yourself. What do other people see in me? Sometimes people see things in us that we don't even see in ourselves. I remember growing up in, in church and I never wanted to be a preacher. I wanted to be an actor. I want to be an actor. I want to go to Hollywood and be an actor. I figured I'd look like Denzel. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> That's what I act. And uh, I remember sharing like a devotion before our drama team got on stage in a church service and my youth pastor overheard me sharing the devotion and he comes up to me at 13 years old and says, you've had a great communication gift. I think God's going to use you to preach the gospel. I said, I don't know what you're smoking. I'm going to Hollywood to be an actor. But he saw something in me at 13 that I didn't see in myself. What do other people see in you? Here's another question. What is something that comes easy to you, but more difficult to others? If it's truly your gift, it should be a natural flow. To it doesn't mean you don't have to work on it, but it does mean there should be a natural flow for you to do it. What is your gift? Now, I could end the sermon right there. Stir up the gift, see the gift, bada bing, bada boom, let's call it a day. But I can't end the sermon there without warning you that the day you find out what your gift is, the, way the day your purpose and your destiny is unwrapped and unveiled, get ready for all hell to break loose in your life. Selah. <laughs> I'm telling you because if there's anybody the enemy hates, the enemy hates people who have identified what their gift is. I'm telling you, when you find your purpose, get ready for laser beams from hell to get on your forehead because the enemy hates people who have identified what their gift is. As a matter of fact, there are three entities that are after your gift. God wants your gift. The enemy wants your gift. And other people want your gift. God wants your gift. The enemy wants your gift. And other people want your gift. And all your life, you will wrestle with these three entities who are all after your gift. Number one, God wants your gift because he's the one that put it in you. And just as anybody would want a return on their investment, how many you know God wants a return on what he invested in your life? But here's what I love about God. He put the gift in you knowing everything about you, knowing your ability to handle your gift. How many know the Bible says things like, to whom much is given, much is required? That even means God gives giftings on different levels. 
Like I have a friend who's an accountant and we talk all the time and he goes, oh, Robert, I don't see how in the world you do what you do. You travel across the nation speaking to thousands of people. He said, if that was me, I would pass out before I ever got the microphone. I would be throwing up. My knees would be knocking. I don't see how you do it. And I look at him as an accountant and go, I don't see how in the world you stand inside of a cubicle looking at your computer trying to find $3.25 from 2007. If that was me, I would be hanging from the ceiling fan going crazy. But he's gifted to do that and I'm gifted to do this. There is a place that you were created to flow in. Secondly, the enemy, he wants your gift. And he'll, here's how the enemy will rob you of your gift. He'll tell you to just use your gift for you. He'll say, just use your gift for you. That's what the kingdom of darkness is predicated upon, selfishness. All the enemy will ever tell you is, do you, boo-boo, just do you. Just do what you feel. And how many you know, you don't have to look far to see people in culture who are incredibly gifted, who are using their gift for themselves, and it is driving them crazy because you were never meant to handle your gift. You got to give it back to the creator because every good and perfect gift comes down from God. But your gift left to you will destroy you. Lastly, other people want your gift. This is where it gets tricky because God wanted my gift. That's a good thing, right? The enemy wanted my gift. That's a bad thing. But other people wanted my gift. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because other people want your gift. Gifts are attractive. The only problem with other people getting your gift is whenever you come into a relationship with somebody, whether it be a friendship, marriage, dating, business partnership, whenever you meet that person, how many of you know you don't just get their gift? Oh, no. You also get their dirt. <laughs> And people can handle your gift, but not a whole lot of people can handle your dirt. Okay, I just lost everybody in the building today because you are so excited. You're like, oh, I got a gift. I am somebody. But can we be honest? Come on, you got some dirt too. See, my, my gift causes me to walk in great power, but my dirt causes me problems. But that's the part of you you don't want anybody to see. As a matter of fact, this is how most people come into a relationship. And when you meet somebody, this is how you meet them. We love to show our gifts and hide our dirt. Don't we? This is how you meet every individual. We love to show the good side. We are an edited society. We're just, hey, how are you? This is how you meet every person. This is how some of you came to church today. Come on, you walked in, you're like, oh, God is good all the time. Yes, my spouse and I are so glad to be here today. But in the car, it was a different conversation. (laughs) If you say one more word to me, I'm going to slap you into next week. (laughs) But you came in here, oh, God is good. Isn't it funny how we love to show our gifts and hide our dirt? Come on, this is why dating is so much easier than marriage. Oh, come on, let the married people say amen up in here. Because in the dating process, all you deal with is the gift. See you Friday. Yeah, it's going to be a great date. But when you live with them and say, I do, you wake up one morning and go, what in the world? Oh, you didn't say this on the first date. What is this? That's why in my wedding ceremony, I didn't even say I do. I said, I dirt, I dirt. I take all the dirt. That's the challenge is how do you balance the gift and the dirt? One of the things I love about the Bible is that it shows us incredible individuals, especially in the Old Testament, who had a great gift, but also had some dirt. And I'm glad the Bible gives us the real story, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because it gives me hope that God can use me too. I mean, come on, people like David who were gifted walked right up to Goliath and said, hold on, player, you ain't gonna talk about my God in front of everybody. No, I'm not gonna be quiet. I'm about to knock him out. Mama said, knock him out. That's what David said. You're all like, I've never read that version before. <laughs> Let me help you. That's the NIV, okay? Negro International Version, okay? Just trying to help you, okay? 
David was gifted. He was so gifted. But that same David, that same David, one time is on a rooftop, sees a woman named Bathsheba taking a bath, sends her a text message. Says, uh, hey, I saw you taking a bath. You should come over tonight. Smiley face. (laughs) Committed adultery. His dirt. Moses, gifted. Walked right into Pharaoh's palace. Kicked the door for Pharaoh, cut the music off. God said, let my God said, let my You know he had a stuttering problem. God said, let my Look, we want to leave. I'm sick of this. He was gifted. That same Moses committed murder trying to accomplish the plan of God his way. And I mean, you know, I don't have to give you somebody out of the pages of biblical antiquity. If you're honest and do some introspection, you can look at your own life and see the dichotomy, the duplicity, and the ambiguity between your gift and the dirt. And do you know what our heart longs for? Somebody that can see our gift and see our dirt and love us anyway. This is why I love Jesus, because he can see your gift and see your dirt, and he still loves you anyway. And most of us struggle trying to handle our gift and our dirt. You know why? Because we're trying to handle it. The whole time I've been preaching this gift, this dirt has been in my hands and I've been struggling. And it's a picture of so many of our lives. You were never meant to handle your gift or your dirt. You got to get it out of your hands. And that's when you'll have real liberty and freedom. When you get it in the hands of the God that created you. When you get it in the hands of the God that formed you. Take your gift and your dirt and put it in his hands. Hear me. Life is predicated upon whose hands you put a gift in. Come on, if you take a basketball and you put it in my hands, it's worth $20. You put that same basketball in the hand of LeBron. James is worth $300 million because it all depends on whose hands you put something in. If you take a golf club and you put it in my hands, you will get a horrible game of putt-putt golf. But you take that same golf club and you put it in the hands of Bubba Watson, you got a master's championship because it all depends on whose hands you put something in. If you take black and white piano keys and put it in my hands, you will cover your ears and run out of this sanctuary. But you take the same black and white piano keys and you put it in his hands, you got soft music playing behind me, letting you know I'm about to land the sermon, because it all depends on whose hands you put something in. Come on, somebody. If you take a slingshot and put it in my hands, I can't hit the backside of a barn, but you put that slingshot in David's hand, he'll defeat a terrorist that's been messing with the people of God. Whose hands are you going to put your life in? Come on, if you take nails and hammer and put it in my hands, I'll build you a birdhouse. But the same nails, the same hammer in the hands of Jesus you got salvation you got redemption you got healing you got joy you got peace you got everything you need oh come on somebody give God some praise in this place today put it in his hands when you put it in his hands that's when God can do the miracle if you can remain standing we're going to pray but the miracle starts when you take the gift in the dirt you put it in his hands telling you this holiday season perhaps the greatest thing you could ever receive is to have an open eyes to see God what did you put in me because once you find out what he put in you it will revolutionize the world around you it's time for you to stir it up I'm just going to ask every head be bowed every eye be closed in this moment Father I thank you for the power that's in your word 
God, I pray that as I was speaking in generalities, God, you are speaking with specificity. God, I thank you that there is not a person under the sound of my voice, Lord, at every campus who does not have a gift, something you've given them. Lord, I pray today you would give us the strength and the grace to stir it up. Lord, I also thank you for the greatest gift, sending your son over 2,000 years ago, who died on a cross, took our place. God, I pray for my friend who hasn't even received that gift of salvation. Lord, today, let, they see, let them see the majesty, the beauty, the splendor of who you are, Jesus. And God, I thank you for the testimonies, for the miraculous things that are going to happen because we're taking our gift and our dirt and we put it in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.